Welcome to another message from Bridge Assembly, located at 725 Granite Avenue in Helena, Montana. For more information on Bridge, go to our website at bridgehelena.com. It is our prayer that this message will help you to connect with God, connect with others, and connect others with God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you this entire day. God, we give you our hearts and our lives. God, we give you our focus. We're intentional, Lord, about laying ourselves before you, not only in devotion, but also in surrender, Lord. God, as we give you this time, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts and each person in here, Lord, you know intimately and you know purposefully and you know exactly what they need to hear from you. We rely on your spirit, Lord. We ask you to fill this place. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you came as a baby. You sacrificed yourself for us. God, we owe you everything that we have and everything that we are to you. Please take this small token of this service this morning. God, we love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. How is everyone? Good. Good Christmases across the, the house? Awesome. I just have a few very quick announcements. Our Wednesday classes for kids and youth and adults start back up this week, so make sure that you're there for that. Uh, the cafe is, I don't know if everybody knows, but today was the last Sunday of the month and we're starting to do double punches on the last Sunday of the month, so make sure you, I mean, we want you to come all the time, right? But you get double punches on last Sundays of the month and they are having all of the holiday uh, drinks are discounted. So that's kind of fun. What else? I think that's, has everybody gotten their new bridge t-shirts and sweatshirts? If you haven't, make sure you stop by the cafe. They have those. Debbie, did you have something? Oh, right now or after? I was going to do it in a second. Okay. Debbie wants all you kids to go hang out with her, like, right now. So I guess if you guys want to go, you can head downstairs with Miss Debbie. She's by the back door. Awesome. One more thing, giving. Um, I think we all know that God asks us to sacrifice and give, um, to bring that giving into the storehouse. And if this is your church, this is the storehouse. And there's several different ways to give. Thank you, guys. Let's see. Online, texting, the giving box in the back of the sanctuary and in the foyer and by snail mail. So um, I'm super excited. Many of you, let me back up. Many of you have asked how Jason's doing. He's doing really well. I'm very grateful. We had a great anesthesiologist, and so we didn't have some of the residual issues that we had with his knee. So he's doing really good. 
pain is under control, so thank you all so very much for praying for him. We really appreciate it. I'm super excited. Come on up. Um, many of you already know Mackenzie, but I'm super excited to hear her heart. There is one thing that I do know about her, and that is she's extremely passionate about Jesus and sharing him with those within her sphere of influence. And I would venture to say she can even stray out of that sphere and reach even more, would you say? I don't know. <laughs> yes, you do. She totally does. So we're super excited to hear from her this morning. And I just pay close attention to her heart and her passion because Jason and I are super blessed by it. So thank you so much for Thanks. Well, thank you guys for having me. Um, I've thankfully had the pleasure of meeting most of you, but for those of you I haven't, as Amy said, my name is Mackenzie, and I work with Chi Alpha. Love to take a moment to introduce myself to those who I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet. So I guess I already said my name, but my name is Mackenzie, and I work with Chi Alpha, which is a college ministry organization. It's all around the nation, but I work specifically here in Helena, working with college-age students, mostly at Carroll College, but then also Helena College and everyone kind of college-age that lives around Helena. So that's what I do. And a little bit about me, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, so please forgive me for that one. <laughs> but I grew up there with a lot of family, a brother, a lot of step-parents, a lot of step-siblings. I could try and explain it to you, but that's more confusing than trying to understand those Old Testament genealogies, so I'll spare you. Um, but I moved to Helena in 2017 for college, and at the time I thought, I'm moving here for college to study biology, to study math, probably play outside, because, you know, I lived in Portland and there's not much to do when you live in a brick city. I mean, stones, whatever the word is. Well, now you live in a city. So I was really excited to come to Helena, and had no idea at the time that God was going to change my life when I was here. So came to college thinking it was for an education, but actually I came to hear the gospel and develop a relationship with Jesus. So, <laughs> thanks. Well, now that I've uh, shared with you two secrets, one, that I'm from Portland, again, please don't hold it against me, and two, that I'm young, both in my age and in my faith, I'd ask that you please don't tune me out today. Um, <laughs> I was a little nervous originally when Jason asked me about preaching. I was thinking, okay, so you realize most of the people of this church have been following Jesus far longer than I have. And I was kind of having one of those arguing matches with the Lord that we have sometime, being like, all right, God, uh, why'd you ask me to do this? Uh, everyone here probably could share a lot more important things than I can. There's probably most people in this room can teach me a lot more than I could teach them and was just a little bit confused by that. And the Lord nicely rebuked me, saying, Mackenzie, it's not about you. Um, so I kind of got the memo with that, and he said, yeah, it's not about you. It's, you're just the mouthpiece. And I have things I want to say to this group of people through you and that I want to say to you. So with that, I promise that I'm not going to preach on anything today that I don't feel the Lord has led in. And I also ask that in turn you would promise to keep your ears open and not tune out today and listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak specifically to you today. So with all that being said, let's take a moment to pray and then we'll get started. Dear Jesus, I just thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you that we're here on New Year's, that we made it through another year. Um, God, I thank you for this church family. Lord, I thank you that, um, yeah, 
that for this Christmas season, Lord, that we've been through, I thank you that you came and you died for us, Lord, and we got to spend time with friends and family celebrating that and getting to celebrate you. And Jesus, we just, yeah, we thank you for your presence here, and we just pray that your presence would be felt today, Lord, that you would just be speaking to everyone in this room. Lord, I pray that our ears would be open to what you want to say to us, that our hearts would be open too. God, and I pray just as Pastor Jason does, that you wouldn't let me say anything that's not coming from you today. Lord, that you would shut me up if it's not from you. Um, Lord, and I pray that you just speak the words that you want us to hear today. Um, so God, I also pray that no one would leave here unchanged, Lord, that you would be speaking to every one of us. Um, so yeah, Lord, we just thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your deep love that you have for us, and we look forward to um, just spending time in your word together today and spending time in worship together today. So we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Sweet. So in Chi Alpha, where I work, we focus a lot on equipping our students through having like discipleship for our student leaders. So, um, oh, sorry, very low. So we do a lot of this by having a student leadership team. So we have students that they maybe have already been following Jesus for a little while and they decide, all right, I want to start making disciples. I want to step out in this now. And so we walk alongside them and help them with that. So we get the pleasure of meeting with students that are really passionate about wanting to see other students that they know, knowing who Jesus is, who are passionate about wanting to step out, who are passionate about sharing the gospel with their peers. And maybe they've been doing this for a while, or maybe they're brand new to it. And getting to meet with these student leaders has been really, um, yeah, just really encouraging to me and has taught me a lot. In addition to these student leaders that we get to meet with and disciple, since our focus is on making disciples that make more disciples, we also get to meet with students that are not quite in that place. We get to meet with students who maybe haven't heard of Jesus yet and they're starting to be curious, all the way to students who maybe they're getting ready to start making disciples, but they're just not there yet. There's a wide variety of where students are at that we meet with and different pockets that we get to disciple at, at Carroll. And with this wide spectrum, I've met students all the way from, yes, I love Jesus and I want to get to know him more, to students who like, yeah, Jesus is okay, I grew up Christian, but whatever, and everything in between, right? And so there's a wide spectrum. Um, and with that, I've gotten to learn some things. And I'm not going to pretend like, oh, every student is the same or that I've learned one specific thing, because I recognize that every student is different. But something specifically that I've gotten to see, and specifically gotten to see sort of about the American church that I haven't, I guess didn't get to see before, that I've seen through discipling college students, is that there is an overall struggle within the American church of responding to the gospel. What I mean by this is I've met a lot of students who know who Jesus is, they can tell me he's Lord, they can tell me he's Savior, and they can tell me, yeah, I care about relationship with God, but that's all that it is, just words. There's no actions that go with it. And as you're trying to talk to them more about this, it's an actionless faith. They say that they're passionate about God. They say they want relationship with him, but they remain unchanged. And they remain to look more like the world than like Jesus. And on the other hand, of the more extreme spectrum, I get to meet students also who are very desperate for relationship with God, but they're so desperate that they're just constantly searching for his love and affection. They're ultra-religious, hoping that they can maybe earn his love and approval. And with that, they're working so hard for something that's freely given. They've missed the point. In both of the examples, 
there's a missed point of who Jesus is and what his gospel is and how to respond to it. And I know these are kind of extreme examples, but I said them slightly to make a point, but I'd be remiss not to mention that I see them in myself and that I'm sure we all can see them in ourselves too. They look, it looks like maybe in less extreme examples, you know, being convicted and talking about it, maybe telling some of your friends, I know I've done this, wow, I'm really convicted about this thing, but then I don't do anything about it. Or the sense of, wow, I really just want to do really well at this thing that God's asked me to do, and I'm going to work really hard to do well at it, but then I'm so focused on it, I forget to actually spend time with him. And I realize I'm starting to do it to please people, not actually to please God. So I've also fallen into the religiousness aspect, forgetting to take my eyes off of myself and actually look at the one who matters, which is Jesus. So we could probably all guess what the most memorized Bible verse ever is, right? Yeah, Sandy got it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? Who here has memorized that? Okay, probably everyone it looks like. <laughs> so what's funny is I really, really am terrible at memorizing Bible verses, and I don't think I've even tried to memorize that one because it's just plastered everywhere, so it's just somehow been in my brain. And I think probably most of us have that same experience. My non-Christian friends can probably tell me that Bible verse. I knew that Bible verse when I was a kid and didn't even own a Bible. Like, it is very common, but do we realize what that one verse is saying? That one verse is summing up the greatest love story to ever exist. That one verse is summing up that we were created in perfect relationship with God. That one verse is summing up the unfortunate truth that we fell from that perfect relationship, that we sinned and fell short, that every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And with that, the wages of sin are death, so we deserve death. But God died in our place. He said, no, I want you guys. I want relationship with you guys. So I'm going to give my son so that you guys can have life. I'm going to take death so you guys can have life. So we could be brought back to relationship with him. That's what that one verse that probably everyone and their mother knows means. Paul sums this up in Romans 5, 6 through 11, saying, At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Ah, amen, right? I really, well, I just love Romans in general, but I really love those verses because I feel like Paul just completely sums up the gospel in those few verses in a very eloquent way, as he often does in Romans. But... Essentially, what he's saying is that God saves us from himself for himself. He saves us from his own wrath. What we deserve is death, but what we get is life, because God took on his wrath for us so that we could have eternal life. We were washed by the blood of Jesus because of the goodness of God, because he loves us. So what we deserve is death, but what we are given is eternal life. Do we understand the depths of that? 
Are we acting as though we understand the depths of that? So now I want to mention, because I can be a wee bit passionate sometimes as I preach, so as we get going more and my hands are flying because I'm Italian, I'd like to point out real quick that this message isn't about pointing fingers. Even if I get a little yelly, again, I'm Italian, it's not about behavior modification. That's not God's heart for us. His heart is to lead us to himself, for himself. His heart is to show us the deep love that he has for us. And from that love, for us to draw closer to him. It's from his loving kindness that change occurs in our life. It's not from a behavior modification. It's from his loving kindness that we're brought to repentance. It's from his loving kindness that we respond to his greatest commandment, which is to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. It's from an overflow of love received from him that we love him back. There was, a, uh, um, there was a conference called SALT that we bring our students to. And last year at this conference, we had a speaker come, and he was hilarious. He's a missionary with YWAM. And as he was speaking, basically he was just sharing stories of his own life and sharing stories of being on the mission field. But I guess I went into this thinking he was going to tell everyone, you need to be a missionary, you need to do this for God, you need to do that. And the whole point of this whole weekend, what he was sharing was this. Everything we do for God comes from God. That's God's heart. That everything we do for him comes from him. That everything is from an overflow of love received from him. It's from that overflow that we love him back. He's not looking for us to just have behavior modification and go do what he says. He's looking for us to be loving from an overflow. Because true devotion flows out of the depths of Christ's love for us. So I want to look at an example of this from Scripture. And it's an example of a woman who recognized the depths of Christ's love for her and the personal love that he had. And then she responded to it. So if you have your Bibles today, turn to Luke 7, 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. <clears throat> a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. All right. So Simon the Pharisees, he invited Jesus over for dinner, and he's, we don't really know why he invited. Maybe he invited because he genuinely thought Jesus was a prophet, or maybe he invited him over because he was just kind of curious about him, wanted to test him, or maybe he just thought he would be an entertaining guest to have at his house. Who knows, but he's his honored guest, supposedly. And then in walks this woman, barging into his dinner celebration. In walks this woman, who was told that she is a sinner, which all of us obviously are sinners. We've been talking about this probably three times already. But she was notorious. She was known in the town as a sinner. So it's not just the classic, we're all sinners. She was a notorious sinner. She had a reputation. So she was an outcast. She was known as a sinner. 
and she barges into the house of a Pharisee. And a Pharisee, by the way, they view someone like her as unclean. They view someone like her as untouchable, someone that they do not want to interact with and probably don't even want to look at. And so here comes this lady, and she's like, all right, I got to go find Jesus, and she barges into the house of the Pharisee. That's really bold. <laughs> she comes into the house of a guy who views her as unclean and pretty much views her like dirt, and she comes barging in. So Simon the Pharisee is obviously horrified. He's thinking, oh my gosh, who is this woman to come in? And oh my gosh, she's touching my guest? What the heck? And to make it even worse in his eyes, not only is she touching his guest, she would, he would think that he, his guest would probably say, hey, get off of me, or maybe rebuke her in some way. But instead, Jesus allows it, which horrifies Simon even more. So in response to this, he thinks, yeah, this guy must not be a prophet because any prophet would be able to read the condition of this lady's heart and see that she's a sinner and no prophet on earth would ever let some sinner touch him. My goodness. <laughs> All right, so looking at the next verses. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him, owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? <clears throat> Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. All right, so something that I think is kind of cool about this, this point right here is in the previous verse, the Pharisee thought, man, this guy isn't a prophet because he can't read the condition of this girl's heart. But then Jesus reads the condition of Simon's heart, which I think is kind of fun. <laughs> and instead of just leaving it at that and being like, hey, Simon, I heard what you said in your mind, he responds. And he responds with a parable and responds with correction. And that correction keeps going, so let's keep reading. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. <clears throat> then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Whoa, there is a lot in this. This is a really awesome chunk of scripture. Actually, one of my good friends, the girl who gave me this sweatshirt, funny enough, she loves this passage and has talked about it kind of for a really long time. <laughs> but I see why. There is so much to unpack here. But I want to specifically focus on how the woman loved Jesus versus how the Pharisee loved Jesus. So looking at the woman, it's not necessarily stated where she came from or who she was. The Pharisee is named, but the woman isn't, probably to protect her, honestly. But it's not stated where she came from, her story, really. We can make some assumptions about what she was notorious for, but we don't really know who she was, but we do know that she came barging in, and the way that she loved Jesus, the assumption is that she probably had already heard him preach at one point, 
and she came in repentance and gratitude. So she was willing to come in looking foolish. She was willing to come in and do anything to express her love for Jesus. She recognized that she was forgiven, so she came barreling in to the house of a Pharisee who pretty much was going to hate her, which is crazy how much she recognized the forgiveness and recognized the love of Jesus. And so she came in looking foolish, not just barreling into a Pharisee's house, but crying at the guest's feet. She was willing to do anything to express the deep love that she had for this man. And sometimes we can look at this passage and be kind of thinking, all right, so she cried at his feet. That's a little odd. But there's actually significance to these three tasks that she did for Jesus. I mean, they weren't usually performed in this sort of way, but there was significance to the three things that she did. During this time period, there was three common rituals that, an, that a, uh, what's the word, host, that's the word I was looking for, that a host would do when a guest came into their home. The first one was a kiss of greeting. I guess we don't really do that anymore, at least this side of the world, but a kiss of greeting was the first thing as they walked in. And then, of course, because, you know, they walked around in sandals on dusty roads, they would at least, as a minimal gesture, if they didn't do anything else, they would provide water for them to wash their feet. But it was customary that the servant that was at that home would wash the feet of the guest for, for them, or maybe even the owner of the home would wash the person's feet. But there would be foot washing, and that one was like, that was pretty much the mandatory. But then the other nice thing to do would be anointing the guest's head with oil. And Jesus says here that Simon failed to do any of these. He didn't give him a kiss of greeting. He didn't even provide water for his feet, the very minimal gesture. And he didn't anoint Jesus' head with oil. Yet this was his honored guest that he had brought, the guy who he thought maybe was a prophet, and he didn't even do the minimal things that you would do to honor a guest. But the woman came barreling in, not even her home, and she does all three. She actually doesn't have any cultural reason why she needs to do all three, but she does them anyways. She shows that great love to Jesus by doing them. She honors him. She took the place of a servant by coming up behind Jesus and washing his feet, which logistically, I'm going to do some acrobats up here. That would kind of look like, you know, he's reclining because that's how they would sit at tables. It'd be like this, you know, on the ground. And so she would logistically would be able to come up behind him, washing his feet, not even looking at him coming up truly in the place of a servant. And that actually, if you look through the Old Testament, there's a time in, I think it's 2 Samuel, when a maidservant does that to wash feet. So we know that that is literally the place of a servant that she is taking. So she comes in, takes the place of a servant, and she starts crying, weeping at Jesus' feet. And she's not just weeping a little bit. like She's making enough tears to wash his feet that are probably dirty from walking around all day. So this is like as uh, people like to call it, ugly crying. And she, in doing this, was just weeping at his feet. And so the New Testament, the original Greek that was written here for the word weeping, I'm not going to try and pronounce it because you guys would all laugh at me, but <laughs> the original Greek word used here for weeping means to mourn, weep, and lament as a sign of deep pain and grief, usually grief due to something like death. So she's weeping as a sign of mourning, lamenting, and a sign of deep pain and grief. 
I think it's safe to assume, given all the circumstances, that she's crying over the depths of her sin. I think it's safe to assume that these are tears of repentance. So here she is, taking the place of a servant and weeping tears of repentance at his feet. Her tears keep flowing, literally producing enough to wash the dust and dirt off his feet. And then instead of just leaving them wet like that, she takes her hair and starts wash, drying his feet with it. And then to go above and beyond that, she's already poured out her tears of repentance. She's already probably really thirsty because of how much she cried. <laughs> she now is going to kiss Jesus' feet in admiration. Which, in general, the idea of kissing someone's feet is like, that seems a little like intense, right? But also think about at this point, his feet were just washed with her tears, not soap and water, and he's been walking around in the dust all day. So he, she's passionately kissing the feet that are kind of dirty. So she's passionately kissing his feet, showing her admiration, showing her love, showing that she, again, is taking the place of a servant. And then, to go above and beyond all of this, she anoints his feet with perfume. Not just oil, which was customary for the head, but perfume, which was likely costly. She gives him the very best that she has to offer. She pours all of her perfume at his feet. She gives her whole self, her whole tears, all of her repentance, everything she has. She comes in and looks foolish, gives her life essentially, laid out there, all of her costly fragrance poured on the feet of Jesus. Her devotion flows out of the depths of Christ's love for her. And this kind of devotion requires repentance. The recognition of the depth of our sin, we need to have that in order to be overwhelmed by the depth of our forgiveness. This woman had that. She recognized the depth of her sin, so she came in and was overwhelmed to the point of just completely laying herself at Jesus' feet by the depth of her forgiveness. She was overwhelmed by it. And she could not help but pour out all the, her devotion on him. She could not help but pour out all her costly fragrance. She could not help but pour out her tears. She could not help but kiss his feet. As Jesus said, she was forgiven much, so she loved much. Humility, like this woman had, leads to intimacy with Jesus. Her humility in repenting led to a beautiful, intimate moment with her Lord, something that no one could ever take away from her. And he turns and looks at her. I'd like to take a moment to think of that. So here she is behind Jesus' feet. Jesus is talking to Simon, and then he turns away from Simon and turns and looks at this woman and starts speaking, looking at this woman, giving her the courtesy and showing her the acknowledgement of, I see you, and I appreciate you. And then, going above and beyond that, he acknowledges her love and forgiveness in front of a room full of people, in front of a room full of people that think that she's trash, essentially. So he's acknowledging her love and forgiveness in front of everyone. And in general, this would be a big deal, we all feel really loved when someone publicly affirms us, right? But this is Jesus publicly affirming her in front of a room full of people that she's an outcast to, that she is the lowest of low, she's untouchable in this society, people that think, man, she's a sinner, no one should get near her. And Jesus turns towards her, looks at her, says of her great love, and says of her great forgiveness. So Jesus turns toward her, he is moved by those who love him. He's moved by those who repent and thus love much. The Pharisee, on the other hand, misses out on a lot of this. He's blinded by his pride. 
He doesn't recognize his own sinfulness, and thus he doesn't recognize the Lord's love. He's forgiven little, so he loves little. In this, he misses out on intimacy with the Lord. He misses out on what this woman received. In Jesus' parable, the difference between the big debtor and the little isn't actually the amount of sin. I mean, we all know the wages of sin are death, and all of us have fallen short. If, you know, you have, I've used this, heard this analogy before, but if you have a cup of water and you put a little bit of dirt in it, you're still not really going to want to drink that water, unless you're, I guess, really desperate. But in general, you're going to just pour out the cup of water and you're going to get a clean one. It doesn't matter if there's a little bit of dirt or a lot of dirt. You don't really want to drink dirt. And so that's the same with our sin. The wages of sin are death. It doesn't matter how little or how much. It's all a lot of sin, and we all deserve death for it. So in Jesus' parable, he's not saying, oh yeah, some people are just less sinful than others. That is not the point whatsoever. The difference is awareness of sin. It's only in the painful awareness of our sin, and then in the joyful recognition of Christ's complete forgiveness, that we can come to Jesus like this woman did, loving much. True devotion flows out of the depths of Christ's love for us. And we can only recognize the depth of this love when we recognize the depth of our own sin. After all, it's pretty hard to be thankful for someone that saved you if you didn't believe you were ever in need of saving. It'd be like if someone like pushed you out of the front of a bus and then you weren't grateful because you were like, the bus wasn't there. That doesn't make any sense. We can't be grateful for something for being saved when we don't see it, right? So with all of this, the question is, what kind of relationship do you want with God? Do you want one like the woman, where you recognize the depth of your sin, and thus you are forgiven of much, but love much? Or do you want one like the Pharisees, where you don't have to deal with recognizing your sin, which can feel nice, but you're forgiven little, and thus you love little. So I want to share a little story where I was actually confronted with this question. A few years ago, ago, shortly after I graduated college, I was confronted with this question while I was having dinner with my friends Tim and Brielle over there. You didn't know I was going to put you in here, so sorry. (laughs) Um, But we were having dinner with one of our students who was getting ready to leave for going on a mission trip with YWAM. We were sad to see her go, so we were all saying goodbye. I think we were sitting at Qdoba, and this student, as I talked about earlier, some of our students just encouraged me so much and teach me a lot. She was one of them. Oh my gosh. We were probably having a very casual conversation talking about nothing important, and then she's one of those people that can turn any conversation from very casual and shallow to really deep, really fast, and all about Jesus. So as we're talking, just sitting at Qdoba, all of a sudden she says, seems like everyone who's really close with the Lord and has a good relationship with them had to hit rock bottom first. And I thought about that and was like, huh? And then she proceeded to ask all of us what our rock bottom moments were. So we're having this deep moment in Qdoba. But <laughs> as, as this conversation came up, I didn't really understand. I was thinking, all right, so what you're saying is that someone has to like go to jail or be addicted to drugs or like almost die or have something really dramatic happen in order to follow Jesus? Like I just didn't, I was missing the point of what she meant by rock bottom. And then it wasn't until in response to this, Tim said, I think people that say their testimonies aren't that powerful haven't yet been broken by their sin. 
And when he said that, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, that's what she meant, duh. What she was talking about when it comes to a rock bottom moment, that doesn't have to necessarily be some dramatic moment. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. What she was talking about is the moment, is having a moment where you recognize the depth of your sin, when you recognize that you desperately need Jesus, that you would not be able to make it through if it wasn't for Jesus, that man, you are in desperation. Kind of like someone at the bottom of a well. I guess technically that would be a rock bottom moment, literally. But <laughs> someone at the bottom of a well, they would need a rope thrown to them, and they would be really stupid to just be like, ah, maybe I'll just get out somehow on my own. They're going to recognize, man, I'm really in need of someone to throw me a rope. That's what she was saying by a rock bottom moment. So when Tim said, I think that people that say their testimonies aren't that powerful haven't been broken by their sin, it made me realize this. Whoa. Mind blown. Anyways, it caused me to reflect on my own life and made me realize that at this point in my walk with the Lord, it had been a few years, and I had already had a moment that was, I guess, my rock bottom. It was a hard time where I was confronted with my own sinfulness and had to desperately rely on the Lord. I had to desperately rely on him for his deliverance and his forgiveness and just for help in getting out of the situation that I had gotten stuck in. But until that point, I had been following Jesus for at least a year, and I don't think I really ever understood repentance. I was never broken by my sin. It wasn't until that moment of, wow, I am really stuck, that I actually realized my own sinfulness. So when Tim said this, it just kind of struck me right in the heart of remembering when I was a student in Chi Alpha and um, we do a discipleship class for our students. And I remember when we were learning about sharing testimonies, I was like, okay, I'll give a shot at trying to share a testimony. And I remember someone afterwards, it might have even been Tim, funny enough, saying, wow, your testimony is really powerful. And my response was, not really. <laughs> so I realized in this whole moment of this conversation, I realized, wow. That was coming from me not recognizing the depth of my sin. I didn't realize how much I needed Jesus. I didn't realize that I was going to be dead without him. I didn't realize that there was, like, that was like I was drowning. I had no idea. So my lack of realization of my own sinfulness had kept me from loving much. And during that first year or so that I was walking with the Lord, I did move very slowly when it came to growing. And I truly believe it was because I did not understand the depth of my, my own sin. I was not confronted with what repentance looked like. I wasn't confronted with my own sinfulness. And I didn't grow very much because of that. And I, like, I still grew, but it wasn't as much as I could have. Because my lack of repentance and lack of awareness of my own sin kept me from loving much. So from that conversation, something I realized is that after followers of Jesus, we need to make a choice. We need to make a choice to either fall back into our old ways of our prideful state of oblivion, or stay in that way if you hadn't come out of it yet, or to daily keep with repentance. So the choice of fall back in or stay in a sinful state of oblivion, which feels nice, you get all the happy fuzzies of following Jesus, but you don't actually get any of the real depth with him, or to daily keep with repentance. I think we all know what the right answer is, but 
we also, even if we know that, we cannot do it on our own. That's something we can't just will ourselves to be like, all right, I'm going to keep with repentance. I'm going to be convicted and I'm going to always be aware of my sin because we're pretty dumb. And we are very sinful. And so it's really easy to just live in prideful oblivion. So we need the Holy Spirit's help for this. So we need to ask him. And what's really great, gracious of the Lord is that he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can continue to walk close with our Father. So through asking the Holy Spirit for help in daily keeping with repentance, for asking the Holy Spirit, in asking the Holy Spirit for help in living our lives as though they're not our own, we get to experience the pain of allowing the Lord to sharpen us and the pain of growing with him, realistically, and of repentance, because that can be hard. And we get to experience the joy and freedom of living a life laid down to the Lord. We get to live, experience also the joy and freedom of our lives not being our own, which on paper at first you're like, darn, I like to hold on to things, but it's also really nice when you recognize you're not the one in control. But most importantly, we get to experience intimacy with our God. Living a life of true devotion requires true repentance. Now you guys might understand why I'm wearing this sweatshirt, by the way. <laughs> Anyways, repentance in itself, it's costly. It's painful. It's not something that's maybe going to come naturally, because naturally that's not where we go. I mean, if we think of the first sin to occur, what happened? God said, hey, what did you guys do? And Adam said, it was her. And Eve said, it was the serpent. We don't naturally like to repent. We like to just push things on other people. And I think the reason for this is it's really painful to repent, and it requires a death to ourself, and death is painful. But it's in repentance that we find freedom. Freedom and forgiveness. Freedom in getting to experience the full forgiveness that God has to offer. When we actually truly repent and experience his forgiveness, Man, there's nothing so sweet as that. It's a weight lifted off your shoulders. So it's in repentance where we find freedom. It's in repentance where we have that freedom to move forward, to move closer to Jesus, to throw off the things that used to be hindering us and move closer into relationship with our loving God. We find freedom to love Jesus with everything in us because no longer are we held by that weight. And we have the freedom to be truly and fully devoted to him. So when we truly repent and when we get to experience the full forgiveness of, God's, of God and we get to experience reconciled relationship with him, true devotion flows out of us. We can't help but respond. It's like those moments where you're just really excited. I think of a kid on Christmas morning and they're just so excited that maybe usually they don't wake up early and they're waking up mom and dad like, come on, come on, come on. We get to respond to Jesus like that. We can't help but to wake up early and be like, I'm ready to go! Because true devotion flows out of the depths of Christ's love for us. So when we recognize the love he has for us, when we recognize how much need we have, and thus how much he has forgiven us, we can't help but respond. When we recognize our own depravity, and when we truly recognize the gravity of where we would be if it wasn't for Jesus' intervention. When we really think about it and say, wow, if it wasn't for Jesus, where I would be is dead in hell. That sucks. 
but because of Jesus, what I get to experience is eternal life with him forever. Redeemed relationship with him forever. When we get to taste the full freedom of forgiveness, and we get to see God's goodness, that not only did he just give this to us freely, but he gave it to us through his own death. He gave it to us by giving his son, by taking the wrath that we deserve onto himself. When we think of it all in this way, the costly question of do we want to live a life fully devoted to Jesus no longer feels very costly. So I'm not going to give a laundry list today of how to live fully devoted to Jesus. As I mentioned before, our God isn't a God of behavior modification. He's a God of leading us to himself, of showing his deep, him, showing us his deep love that he has for us and that eliciting change. He's not looking for you to check all the boxes. He's not looking for a bunch of half-asleep followers to be like, did that, did that, did that, did that? Okay, and did that. Woohoo! I'm fully devoted. That's not his heart. His heart, what he's looking for, is laid down lovers who recognize their need for him. He's looking for laid down lovers who recognize what he did for them. He's looking for laid down lovers who want to spend time with him, who are moved by the love that he has for them, and from that, want to get into his love, want to be with him, who desire a personal relationship with him, who want to devote themselves to him, because truly, he is life itself. He's not looking for us to be good Christians, woohoo! He's not looking for us to even just do all the things. He's just looking for us to follow him, to love him, to recognize the love he has for him, or for us, and from that love, respond to him. As I mentioned earlier, it's only from his love that we're able to actually follow his commandments. His commandment to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, that comes from recognizing the love he has for us. His commandment to make disciples of all nations, that comes from recognizing the love he has for us. We can't just go out and do that ourselves. We can't just say, I'm going to go do that. We have to be moved by love from the Lord. He's not looking for people to just check all the boxes. He's looking for lovers who recognize that their life is not their own. He's looking for those who will give everything to him, every single thing that they'll give it all and then say, God, I want to give more, but I have nothing more I could give to you, but I want to give more. He's looking for those who will say, here I am, send me, who will actually ask him, God, do you want to send me somewhere? Who will say, God, I see that you have a mission. How do you want me to be a part of it? He's looking for those who will follow him to the ends of the earth, whoever, wherever he may call. He's looking for those who will follow his commands, not to check all the boxes, but out of the love they have for him. He's looking for those who will sell all that they have because they have found the pearl of great price. Ultimately, this is where the death part comes in. He's looking for lovers that will follow him to the cross. In order to live this radically for the Lord, we need to recognize the love he has for us. And thus, we need to recognize the depravity of ourselves. We need to recognize that we were forgiven much, 
So therefore, he loves much. He loves us much that we can see that because we are forgiven much and we can love him much in return. In order to live a life so radically that we're following him to the cross, saying, hallelujah, I'm going to follow him, that has to come from a complete laying down. That has to come from recognizing our own depravity. And it needs to come from not just doing that once, not just doing it twice, but from every day coming before the Lord and spending personal time with him. As I mentioned earlier, everything that we do for the Lord comes from the Lord. It comes from time with him. We can't expect to serve someone we don't spend any time with. Plus, he's not just looking for servants. He's looking for friends. So we can't just hear of his love or just once the day we get saved say, all right, I see my own depravity and now I will love Jesus with everything. We need to actually act on that by getting in his presence daily, spending time with him. Where we don't just hear of his love, but we experience it personally. We can have moments, a long list of time spent with the Lord where we can say accurately at the end of my life, Man, Jesus was my best friend, and we had some good times together, and I'm looking forward to an eternity of more. We need to be continually reminded of this personal love daily. Like I said, we do this by getting in his presence, and I'm going to keep hammering that in, because if you get anything out of today, it's that Jesus wants to spend time with you. And that he wants you to love him from an overflow of love that he's already given you. Additionally, we can trust that as we are continually filled by his extravagant love, that we are continually spending time in God's presence, and we are willing to submit to the Holy Spirit and where he is leading, that true devotion will flow out of us from the depths of Christ's love for us. Following Jesus is simple but we are very prone to overcomplicating it. It's simple. It's recognize our need and say yes to his love and respond. So let's be a church that operates like that. Let's be a church filled with people that operate like the sinful woman, where we recognize our own depravity and thus the depth of our own forgiveness, where we bear fruit by keeping with repentance, where everyone in here is so in love with Jesus and will do anything for him, will give everything to him, that you just can't help but pour out love on him. Let's be a church filled with people that extravagantly love the Lord, not afraid of how people might think of them. Let's be a church that's willing to be just worshiping the Lord like that woman did, coming in looking foolish. And imagine if all of us in this room devoted ourselves to worshiping the Lord like that, to waking up every day to spend extravagant time with him, not just on Sundays, but waking up every day to spend extravagant time with him, to love him deeply, to recognize, man, I need him, and I'm going to spend time with him today. Imagine if we all recognized our forgiveness, and so we loved much, and that we couldn't help but pour out our love on the Lord. And I think it's safe to say that some pretty powerful things would happen if we did this, both in our own personal lives as well in the lives of those around us. Man, I feel like if that was something we all devoted to, we would see change in our city, we would see change in our country. 
we just see change everywhere. If that's how we operate as, yes, bridge assembly, but also a larger church body, man, the change that it would occur. So let's be a church where true devotion flows out of the deep recognition of Christ's love for us. Worship team, you can come on back now. So as per usual, we're going to finish up this message by allowing everyone to respond and come to the altars. And I want us to each personally listen to what the Lord is asking of us. I trust you all to do that. And I want us to respond to what God is asking of us today, not what we want to do, or not maybe how we want to respond, but how the Lord is asking us to respond. And to give some thoughts, maybe he's asking you to repent of some things and allow yourself to receive his full forgiveness. Or maybe he's asking you to surrender to him in an area that you haven't before. Or maybe he's just asking you to worship him and thank him and have gratitude for the love he has for you. Maybe he's asking, something, asking you to say yes to him in something that you've kind of been pushing off and ignoring for a little while, and he's asking you to respond. Or maybe he's stirring you in some other area, but I trust you guys to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond to how he's asking you to respond. So with us, all of that, I'm going to pray and let the worship team take over. Lord, we just thank you. God, we thank you for the radical love that you have for us. Lord, I thank you that, yeah, you did everything so that you could have us back in relationship. God, I thank you that you went to the cross, that you saved us from yourself for yourself, Lord, that you took our place. And God, I just ask that, yeah, we would continue to recognize that every day, that we would live a life changed by your love every day. And Lord, I just pray that we could also be a church that continues to worship you like the sinful woman did in that story, that we can come and pour everything before you and say you're worth it because we recognize the deep love that you have, Lord, and our devotion will flow out of that. So God, I just pray us into this time of response. And Lord, I just ask that yeah, you would um, be speaking to us and speaking to us on how you want us to respond and that you would just allow us to have our hearts open to you. Um, yeah, and that we wouldn't leave this time unchanged. So we love you. We thank you, Jesus. This concludes today's message. We hope you can join us next Sunday for services beginning at 10 o'clock a.m. at Bridge Assembly located at 725 Granite Avenue in Helena, Montana. 
For more information about Bridge Assembly, go to bridgehelena.com, and we hope you can join us next Sunday with Pastor Jason Metz.